gentlemen, you are both drunk on cosmic wine. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Mark Sylvester. And I'm Dr. Richard Schulman. This, this is, is All Psych. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week. As promised, we have our very special guest, Miss Nora Clemens, who is both a registered dietitian and a nutritionist, uh, which they're slightly different, but I, I don't feel like that serves you well enough. So, Hi, Nora. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you, Richard? We Excellent. want to welcome so, you. So, I think uh, I want to know, how'd you get into this? Oh gosh. Um, actually, I went into it from the beginning. I knew that I wanted to be a nutritionist decades ago, but the traditional settings for me all those decades ago were the conventional places, you know, hospitals, clinics, um, rehab centers, nursing homes. And over the years, while I loved what I did, because I was very passionate about nutrition, all I could see was sick people to the left and right. And frankly, what I had been trained in, conventional nutrition, did nothing to help these people. And I mm. said, what's going on here? So, you know, I had been paying attention that meanwhile, functional medicine, integrative medicine was coming along. And I said, I'm getting the heck out of Dodge and I'm gonna go to the other side. So I did start training while I was still working. And when I felt like I was sufficiently ready to go, which was 10 years ago, I started a full-time private practice and left all that you know, sick care behind. I know other people have to do it and need it, but um, you know, need the help. But I'm here to help the people that are still standing that can you know, receive help uh, using food as medicine. Was there a, a moment or a person where you, you kind of shifted gears internally or was it more a gradual thing? Yeah, so we had a registered dietitian do a presentation at our professional meeting uh, who was a certified um, food sensitivity specialist. And sh the case studies she presented were just so stunning about the improvements that these people had when they did blood tests, identified food sensitivities, removed those foods from their diet, and made some significant um, health improvements. So I immediately went to her, found out about it. It was a little while before I studied to become a certified food specialist, a food sensitivity specialist, but I did finally do it, but she was the one. Cool. What's yeah. amazing to me is you, you were so much more than your training. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a diagnostic wisdom that you have that's as sharp as any physician that I've seen but you do it with the healing power of nature's medicine, food, but you take it a step further and you make personalized individual approaches to people's gut health, which we, as we've talked on the show before is their second brain. So why, why do you think there are so many people developing gut issues or have they always been there? We just haven't talked about them until more recently. Well, when you think about how our um, food supply has changed, say even since the 1950s, when technology really got going and making us canned food, white bread, you know, really processed food came into um, being fashionable. 
I remember my mom serving canned green beans and it was like a big deal because that's what moms did. You know, you served canned food. So there was just this um, shift into from whole food nutrition to processed food. And then there's technology. So, you know, our water, our air, the contaminants, the pollutants, the chemicals, the pesticides, the way that we put chemicals into our foods when we process it. Think about all that. Our detoxification uh, organs were not meant to take in those things and push them out. So we're suffering. Our, our gut is like where it first comes in and gut punch, gut punch, is that, no, is that no why, pun intended. Is that why so many people are talking about being reactive to gluten in bread? I remember as a kid, nobody talked about this. We just ate bread. Exactly. You know, then at, at a certain point, everybody became gluten sensitive. What, what is that? What is that? I mean, all of these things that I described that come into our bodies, unfortunately, they start ticking away at you know, the surfaces that they interact with. And so the lining of our small intestine starts um, becoming impaired. And so people have read about something called leaky gut. And so we develop a small intestine lining that is no longer, you know, really tight, but instead there's cracks. And so, you know, then the whole cascade of uh, gluten sensitivity, be, you know, starts happening because of that leaky gut and things that seep into our system that shouldn't be there. I think of, you know, ex I mean, I, I hear what you're saying that, you know, 1950s, a lot of freshly prepared foods, and then we've kind of evolved into, into factory made foods and, and, right. and on all these preservatives. And let's just assume that each preservative or dye or non-organic uh, ingredient in and of itself, each one was safe, which there's much controversy over that as there should be, right. but, if, but if you assume that they're safe, where, where I lose it is when I think about the volume of, of pesticides and additives and, and toxins and antibiotics and hormones and uh, uh, GMO, all of this having, uh, you know, this cumulative hit, uh, you know, it's sort of like giving 30 vaccines to a newborn on day one, Right. Uh, is different than uh, a different structure. So it's sort of this epi, epigenetic phenomenon, but for foods, is it possible that the combination of all of them is doing more damage than any individual, you know, uh, ingredient that our body might otherwise be able to process or manage without noticeable dysfunction? Um, and now, because there's just so much, you can't get natural foods anymore, that more and more people have destroyed their gut flora and are becoming so symptomatic. That was yeah. a little more of a rhetorical question. But it is. That's the way but. that I think about why it's worse. Am I just smoking dope? No, no. You might be, but if you're not, I would say that you are exactly right. And... Here's the thing, this leaky gut that I'm talking about is pretty prevalent. So you can kind of assume that the people that I work with that have bacterial overgrowth, you know, yeast overgrowth, you know, parasites, whatever the case might be, all that inflames the gut. And, uh, you know, if you have this leaky gut, um, 
you know, that is what is the perpetuates not being able to tolerate bread or this, that, or the other. So uh. the whole idea is like you uh, mentioned earlier, find good diagnostic tests to get to the root cause of what is going on with this person, move the bad stuff out, right? And then heal the gut. Because once you do that, a lot of people that are gluten sensitive may not be gluten sensitive anymore. I have seen it with my own eyes. I've kind of done end of one or two with myself and my husband doing food sensitivity tests for years and kind of watching our bodies progress in um, just becoming able to eat more and more instead of restricting and eating less and less. So what, what kind of testing do you do? You know, it really depends on uh, what that person presents with that would be the best uh, first test. But my favorite, favorite test of all is a stool test. I mean- um, Oh, that sounds delicious. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, is everybody signing up for one? Raise your hand. I signed up for two. <laughs> Good. What about you, Richard? Come on. Oh, oh, well, right at this moment, I'm on on the internet, but maybe later. Gotcha. Gotcha. You're shy. I understand. Uh, quite popular these days. <laughs> well, so so your typical approach is is tailor made, individualized for each patient. Always. But a stool analysis. I, I'm assuming it gives you a tremendous wealth of information. I mean, that's why foreign governments are trying to steal our president's poops and stuff like that when they travel, because nice. um, so much can be learned um, from, from stool analysis. Um, Definitely. What else do you do to, in, in your approach? I mean, we could talk a lot about just the lab work, but. Oh, yeah. But I mean, a few more words about testing, which is you know very important, is that you're right. Like if that stool test and the person's clinical symptoms, their presentation, right? That's always the most important thing is what is the person telling you that they are feeling? I mean, that right there without tests, you could do a lot with it, obviously. We all mm -hmm. know that. But these tests really corroborate with their symptoms and then help you get right to the treatment, but another one is a breath test to look for Ooh. SIBO, because um, the small now, what's, intestinal what's bacterial SIBO? overgrowth, okay. yeah, small intestine bacterial overgrowth is rampant. I mean, people have bacterial overgrowth walking around on this planet a lot. So that's another good next step to see if that's the deal, the problem. And do you do any, um, obviously, diet analysis or nutritional status or food logs or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's always homework. People are, um, if they're not ready for what I have to say, what the process is to get getting started, are taken a little back when they find out how much work they have to do before they even see me. But then that tells me, are they in it? to really you know, win it, to, to, to work for themselves, or are they wanting to get better, but wanting to get spoon fed and do it for me? Because well, that's not a good person to work with me. It has to be a person that's willing to make changes. And so first self-analysis self is important. But, it, but isn't it also possible that they know very little? I mean, that was why we all agreed this was such an important topic to understand uh, you know, the great mind gut link. 
And we need to change people's thinking about this because if they view what you're doing as somehow like, I don't know, cumbersome, then they either, like you said, aren't interested in getting well, which I tend to think is probably not the case as much as they just don't understand what all this testing is going to do for them or how it's going to help guide their treatment. They, they, it's new. It's novel to them. I mean, it's, it's sad, but that's true. Is we're just now finally starting to realize, hey, we are what you eat, which I posted a lovely meme this morning for you on that topic, by the way. Thank you. Well, I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I hate to be um, kind of tough, but I can you know, take it. look, I mean, not everybody's cut out to work with me. You know, only those people that want help and want me to help them. Uh, obviously, I will gauge. And if a person is just so new in the whole alternative nutrition approach, I'm not going to blow them away and make them feel intimidated. I will bring them along slowly. But at the end of the day, if they can't do basic things like fill out a nutrition questionnaire and write down their food intake for a week, that tells me that no matter what I give them to do to make changes or to possibly take uh, herbal treatments if they need to, they may not be committed enough if they can't be committed enough to just do that little piece. Yeah. Well, you know, every, every medical regimen is, uh, you have to be psychologically sort of with it. You know, we yeah. can't get people to take heart medicine sometimes, you know, and, there, and compliance with a medical regimen is gonna have emotional undertones anyway. But you it's, it, it's fascinating that people will go, you know, spend thousands of dollars for an MRI mm -hmm. because they think the MRI is providing much more value and in medical insight and, and clinical knowledge and for, you know information than it truly is. So they'll they'll go do that. Yeah, and it reminds me of one of my favorite jokes, which is uh, if I go to the doctor, he says every time I drink coffee, I have a pain in my right eye. He says, "How about taking a spoon out of the cup?" You know, right. people people would rather have an MRI than take the spoon out of the cup. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, I want to say one last thing is that we live in a very um, instant solution society. And when you think about it, you know, some people are so, so, um, you know, hardwired that everything has to happen quickly or that they don't have to do anything to gain anything, that right. they just don't have what it takes to be in the game to get there. So, um, it's not that I don't want to help people. Oh, I have a passion for helping people, but, um, there's someone for everyone out there. I'm sure there's a nutritionist that would do things differently, but, um, you know, only those people that, you know, want to work for themselves. I will give them every step of the way. I will lay it all out for them. I will go to the mat for them, but they have to be willing to do it. Well, and I think that's part of why we want to do this show so badly is because I feel if they understood you know, what gut health was, why it has anything, if not probably everything to do with both our medical and our mental health, yeah. then this would be a no brainer. I mean, you're making it sound difficult for them to fill out forms and maybe give you a lab test. Uh, it's not, it's not difficult. And yeah, you would make it easy, uh, which I just happen to know. 
um, that you do an excellent job on this. Um, but explaining that better is our hope and our goal for today, kind of like how you approach the, the patients. Like, why are we having more gut issues we kind of touched on already and, and how you approach them? But what kind of findings do you see? So you, you're doing, like, say, say a stool um, a sample, a stool test. What, what does it reveal and how um, that co clinically correlates with their symptomatology, mental or physical? Yeah, well, you know, since we're doing um, the mind-gut link here, I think it's important to say that in that questionnaire, um, I have places where they need to let me know how they're doing physically, emotionally, you know, do they have anxiety, depression, what medications they're taking. And I will tell you that 10 times out of 10, people coming to me for IBS or, you know, gut issues all claim to have anxiety or I have a question that says, you know, that they're um, thinking about food all the time or eating with people less. I mean, it's all these things. So the anxiety is there. It's through the roof. I, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, wouldn't you, Rich? Oh, 100%. I, I, uh, I did my dissertation on eating disorders and the connections were, were humongous. Um, but we didn't really, you know, that was in the ancient times before they changed all the air and the water. And I didn't have a clue about the things that I know now. Um, it does seem to me that, that this is one, at this point, this is one plus one is two. You know, that, that the, the, you know, there's more neurons in the gut than anywhere else except for the brain. How could it not be so right. that, that gut health would how could it not be that gut health affects mental health? I mean, anybody who, who doesn't look at this, you know, I, I'm going to be very radical. I think it's malpractice not to look at gut health when you're, when you're uh, in men, uh, mental health. I, I agree. And that's why we have alternative psychiatry and, you know, we work so closely with you, Nora, because you understand the science of of the gut and the nutrition um and it, you know it's it's potential effects on anxiety and depression and then of course we're coming from a world treating anxiety and depression caused by many different things but there is a huge number matter of fact the, the older i get in my practice the more i'm appreciating how this base is growing or my awareness of the base is growing where their anxiety is simply and only uh, diet, you know, yeah. whether that's uh, yeast overgrowth or bacterial dysbiosis or SIBO, which you mentioned before. Um, what other things do, do you find in a stool sample that someone is having GI symptoms? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I mentioned parasites earlier. Parasites. Uh, but, you know, people do have, you know, from the environment, from food and water. It's not just from travel. We have our own parasites here in the United States. Yay. Um, so definitely. <laughs> oh, I missed that. No, he's he scared that we have our own parasites. I think they're <laughs> politics, politicians. Oh, that. <laughs> what about, what about, what about the beneficial bacteria and the, and the imbalance of the microbiome? Uh, you know, people have heard that yeah. taking antibiotics can be bad. Right. Uh, what does that mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so interesting how 
well, first of all, when we do that stool test, um, I try to have people not have taken antibiotics a month before, but honestly, you could have taken antibiotics six months ago. It will still impact your test today. Uh, antibiotics just kill off the population to a low count um, of your beneficial bacteria. And gosh, when you don't have your beneficial bacteria, you know, Command Central has just been wiped out. I mean, all of those um, uh, places from which you can make neurotransmitters, those happy hormones and pleasure hormones, they're wiped out. So you're gonna feel horrible. So after a course of antibiotics, if you feel depressed or anxious, there's a good reason. Yeah. And, and you know what really gets a bee in my bonnet is the primary care doctors, not to blame them, but any physician that's prescribing an antibiotic, you know, correctly or incorrectly, I, I can honestly say I've never had a patient say that they warned me one of the side effects might be anxiety. Right. They never once tell them that. Because if they did, patients would have the knowledge and, and, and insight to say, well, why? How? And, and it's because of this gut flora and this gut link being so critical to our overall sense of well-being. Uh, you know, even the words anxiety and depression are highly interpretive, but that is something um, I, I see every day. Matter of fact, I probably have three people right now who I'm convinced the primary cause of their anxiety is Canada. Yeah. Which we're seeing a lot of it in the summer and in Florida, especially. Yeah. Well, we also, we both, both Mark and I treat a lot of addictions. And it does occur to me that most uh, mental health people don't look at sugar as an addiction. But right. I don't know that there's anything more addictive. Yeah. Nothing more. Or alcohol. Um, you and I, Nora, were talking the other day about alcohol, uh, its role and its effect on the gut biome, but specifically f as feeding Canada. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that that's something people have ever heard of. And that surprises me that our allopathic world and our training has done little to educate doctors and even littler to pass on that information knowledge to, to patients, which is our primary role. I mean, the Greek word for physician is teacher. If I don't even know the stuff myself, how am I supposed to be teaching patients how to care for their guts or their brains? Well, you, you don't have to be uh, Albert Einstein or Sigmund Freud, you have to observe. You know, when, when an alcoholic, I've noticed this many times, an alcoholic will, will become sober and say, gee, you know, I, I, uh, I cleaned out a box of ice cream last night. You know, or yeah. I, have, yeah. I have that candy all, all the time now. I'm eating candy bars. I said, well, you know, you might want to consider <laughs> that you've been feeding yeast, you know, like a whole smorgasbord and now you cut off their diet. So I want to take that into consideration. I know you do. Do you use a lot of... Um, supplements, herbs, uh, vitamins, minerals, that kind of thing in your work? Um, you know, I do, um, but I really have a process for it. And we could get so carried away taking supplements and, you know, the supplement industry isn't regulated. So part of my job is to educate people about good supplements, good brands, uh, companies that have good um, practices to make 
products that you can really count on that have what they say they have and don't have impurities because it's another conversation. But I do, um, and I do so um, judiciously because, you know, we can get carried away. I mean, a lot of people that I work with, they're already taking medication. So think about it. If I add one, two, three, four, then all of a sudden they're a little overwhelmed. What? But I wholeheartedly believe in herbs and supplements. But if you can get them off of pharmaceuticals through right. the use of supplements, I mean, I think most people would much rather, you know, take oregano than Xanax. Yeah. If they make that connection and they see that connection, and I could tell you as a provider, I see it every day. Mm -hmm. I'm stunned that I didn't see it before and that, and that people don't uh, see that in their own body. But I think that the, the delay and the effect, and you know, you know, I think at one point you had mentioned it can take up to three months a lot of times to sort of repopulate a biome mm -hmm. after an antibiotic insult. Um, what about getting a virus, you know, like the norovirus or a stomach bug where, you know, the, the, you didn't even take an antibiotic, but you, you've yeah. had this violent, uh, you know, exchange of your insides with the outsides um, that certainly can disrupt the microbiome. And, um, but I do want to circle back to SIBO a little bit and how you test for it, because I think that's really fascinating. And uh, maybe you could explain what that is and, and how easy it is to test for. Yeah, so the um, small intestine, intestinal bacterial overgrowth is, um, so imagine <clears throat> you've got esophagus, stomach, and then the small intestines start right in attached to the stomach. So we're, we're talking about potentially you have bacteria growing in that small intestine. And these bacteria, they put off gases. So when they make their gases, either hydrogen or methane, for example, those are the, the two that we know how to test for currently. Once those gases are made, they somehow magically get into the bloodstream and then actually are expelled in our breath. So knowing that these bacteria are making um, gases, hydrogen or methane, and they're somehow being able to get expelled in our breath, there's a kit, a home kit, where you simply breathe into a little plastic device and attach test tubes to them and collect your breath at intervals, like over two or three hours, and simply uh, send that to the lab and the lab is able to detect um, which uh, type of gas you might have, which would tell you if you have hydrogen or methane type SIBO and how much. So it'll quantify how bad you have it, if you have it and which kind you have. So if you can light your excellent on fire, that is a problem? No bueno, no bueno. Uh, that's why dragon, uh, dragons have SIBO. <laughs> I know teenagers might enjoy that. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. So uh, yeah. what about uh, diet? I mean, I think uh, we, we talked about rebalancing the biome and, and then the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. In the today's modern world with our diets, what's the best most people can hope for? I mean, do they, do they, and, and I know that's part of what you do when you tailor make an individual plan for, for each patient, but in general, what can we do to protect our guts and therefore our bodies and our minds from just day-to-day -day living? Yeah, you know, I'm just going to tell you the single most um, 
commonly found deficient part of people's diets across the board. Most people, let's just say that have digestive issues, don't eat enough fiber because fiber kicks up whatever is their gut issue. So um, it's important to clean up their gut issue before you start trying to really increase high fiber foods because you know they're just going to continue to have symptoms. But if you have a healthy gut, the best thing you could do is eat more fruit, veggies, and whole grains that have fiber because then you're going to have food for the beneficial bacteria in the colon and it's going to be a happy health. So, I mean, it sounds really simple, but transitioning from wherever you're at in your eating style to just, you know, more whole grains. I mean, if you're gluten-free, you can't whole wheat, have whole wheat, but, you know, really whole wheat products if you're not gluten-free, but there's a lot of, um, you know, whole grain, gluten-free grains out there. Guys, half your plate need to be vegetables. Hello. I keep telling my kids that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, fruit is good, but we want to be careful because there's natural sugar in fruit. And I don't tell people carte blanche to eat as much fruit as you want. I really tell people to eat, you know, three, pe three pieces of fruit per day is a good average. If you have four, it's not going to kill you. But we don't want to have, for example, big acai bowls because they're just loaded with fruit. That's too much fruit at one time. That's too much natural sugar for a healthy individual, let alone if you're not healthy. So, you know, like recovering alcoholic, for example, would love that. So how about, how about probiotics? Do, do, do you think most people need to be on a probiotic or should be on a probiotic? Well, you know, probably. And the only way that you really know is if you did the stool test, but, um, you could start with that, but if you don't layer in high fiber diet, it's like uh, building a house in the daytime, okay, and then tearing it down at night. You come back in the morning, it's like, where's my house? You're putting probiotics into your colon, but if you're not feeding them fiber, they're just going to like die off because they have nothing to live from. So we need to have a really whole food high fiber diet in order to keep our beneficial bacteria robust. And um, I know we've talked about the role of hydration being uh, very important as well. And, and that's, is that to keep, keep the toxins diluted? Is that just to kind of help flush the system? How, how does hydration f figure in on this? Does that tighten the, the tight junctions? What's going on? Well, it doesn't do that. I wish it did. But um, it's, it's what you said. I mean, the more we drink, um, you know, the more we pee, um, you know, we can sweat and get rid of our toxins that way. You know, it helps you have good elimination. If you don't have good bowel movements, um, then you're not eliminating. And if you're not drinking enough, that could be like one reason that you're not having regular, um, you know, bowel movements, which is super important. Um, you know, and then brain function. I mean, if your brain is half hydrated, Right. So, I mean, you need hydration to help, you know, foggy thinking, digestion, elimination, detoxification. Yeah. Everything. Do you ever recommend, I know the new fad among the kids these days are these colonics. Um, explain briefly, we got a couple minutes. How, how is this different than people who do their coffee enemas or, or things like that? And, 
what do you see during that treatment? Wow, well, you just asked me a question that is outside of my area of specialty. I know, I threw that one out in the end to trick you. I know. So the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I love it. But I hear good things about it. I mean, obviously, it has a place in the um, alternative health world, and people swear by it for many things. So I wouldn't discount it if a, a qualified practitioner recommended it and could could explain why it helps. Yeah, yeah, I got to thinking about it because we were talking about the hydration, and I know that they kind of uh, they go in there and there's a couple cycles. And from what I understand, it's lavaging all the way up, uh, to your stomach really. And, yeah. um, the interesting thing is a lot of times you can see, um, years, I guess, of accumulation or yeast patches that kind of come out and let loose. Um, that, that's, that that kind of speaks to the macroscopic side of gut health. You know, uh, uh, there are people with bezoars and other, you know, medical things yeah. that you don't ha typically hear about in your poop because it's not the best conversation to have at the dinner yeah. table. But a lot of people are actually seeing a lot of the this uh, old material, whether that's black or or yeast that comes out in colonies and can be kind of frothy or foamy. Um, it's kind of a, oh, Richard, did you have? It's a great visual, Mark. Uh, I have I one more question before, before we wrap. Do you have uh, any, <laughs> do you have any strong opinions on GMO foods? Well, I do, I do. Um, you know, when you, when you go back to how this all started, you know, it started, you know, based in, uh, you know, a, a company that wanted to make money. And um, it's all about, um, you know, just getting, getting richer. And I am just not a believer in modifying how our food originally was because now we're washing food over our bodies, you know, our own um, genetics that has a different genetic. And we absolutely do not have enough data to know that um, it's good for us. In fact, there is some data, but it's not accepted by you know the mainstream to say that it's not good for us. So I don't recommend it. I highly recommend that if a person can afford in their disposable income for food to avoid GMOs, that they should. Same as organic, using the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 um, as a guide for food selection for organic food. Wonderful. Excellent question, Rich. Holding nice. it till the end there. Well, I, I just needed a spot. You know, it occurs to me we need some more time. Would you be willing to come back? I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah, we, we, we could definitely keep going for hours on end, but uh, that's all the time we have today. I personally want to thank you for agreeing to come on here and educate us and the viewers because there, this is something very near and dear to my heart. And like I said, day in, day out, I really see the work that you do and, and the benefit it has and giving people control of their life and their health back. And to me, that's the greatest part of my job. Um, it doesn't even feel like work when we're, when we're talking about these types of things. So I appreciate you doing what you do and working so closely with us. And we will love to have you on again. Um, you can find Nora on our website, 
or uh, her contact information will be in the link below as well. And I hope you can join us next week, Rich. We are going to do our first live show. My marketing people said we had to do it or they were going to fire me. So we've got a week to figure it out. Uh, well, well, you know, I just don't know that there'll be enough time because once we get started, we're yeah, kind of like potato chips. Once we uh, Non-GMO, of course. Of course. There's no shutting us down. But viewers, you will be, will be taking your questions live and answering them on the air. And it will be exciting and an exhilarating uh, hour because uh, the rest of the world has gone to hell in a handbasket. This is where you want to be. All right. So, thank you again, Nora. It's Nora Clemens. Thank you so and much. Dr. Richard Enjoyed for your it. wisdom. And until next week, thank remember. You. Be well. Almost. All right. Maybe we'll get it another six weeks. Okay. <laughs> Duck lips. Bye-bye.